and uh, so that's that's what I want us to to really focus on as we go forward. I, I do really believe that the first Sunday back, so for those of us that are here and those of you that will be coming back soon enough, your first Sunday back for you, y'all, this really is, it's kind of a snapshot of heaven, isn't it? And it's the idea is this, is that we're finally gathered all together again after having been dispersed in many different places, like the entire global body of Christ, currently dispersed all the way around the world. But there's coming a day when we're all going to be called together all at once. Amen. Amen. That's the rapture of the church. And that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the rapture of the church, the day and I believe is going to be sooner than later, right? That we will all be gathered together with him to meet him in the air and in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, so you can prepare with your Bibles there. But 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks of the rapture of the church, and in verse 17 specifically, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that is the Christian's blessed hope. That is that glorious day that we look forward to. That is the rapture of the church. The word rapture is not found in your Bible. The word catching away, that's literally what it means. And we've been talking about the rapture and the tribulation and the day of the Lord, that millennial day of the Lord for the past couple of weeks. And if you've been following along, I did some whiteboard drawings with some timings and some dates and some ideas of prophecies and how the Lord has put some of that stuff together. And while we were doing that, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can glance with me at the first three verses. We've seen these already. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So we now know the times and the seasons. And we know that when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to come as a thief in the night. We know that when the day of the Lord comes, it's going to come as a woman in travail with birth. And we are currently living in a time, I want you to think about this, because I've never put this together in my mind this way before until this week when I was putting this message together. We are living in a time right now when the entire world is crying out peace and safety. Now, not in the way that I used to always think. I used to always think the peace and safety was being cried out and being spoken of because the world was experiencing complete peace and the world was experiencing complete safety and maybe most specifically in the region of the Middle East as everything seems to be focused on the region of the Middle East. But today, in the environment and the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, everybody's crying out for peace. Don't buck the system. Don't do anything or say anything or think anything against what everybody's telling you you should say and think. Because it's for your safety. Isn't that interesting? When they say peace and safety... Well, today I want to continue our series talking about the rapture and being ready for it and but today, much more of a practical emphasis, not so much of the, the heady, numbers, timeline, doctrinal, prophetic. I do intend to roll that and speak more about the prophecies and, and whatnot on the Wednesdays, if you can be with us on Wednesdays. But I do want to look more at a practical side. So as a result of what we are learning 
What should we be doing? That's the question we should be considering always because theology must always be practical. If theology is not practical, it's just philosophy. That's all it is. The Bible says very clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3 that we're soldiers, right? It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so this is the theme that I want to take as we go into today's message. We're near the end of our battle, soldiers. The rapture is going to call us out soon enough and call us out of the battlefield and call us back home. Our commander-in-chief has given us our final marching orders. That's actually the title for today, the Christian's final marching orders. And we do want to be found faithful, right? Faithfully doing the exact specific things that he requires. Right up until the last minute. I mean, what if the end truly is in our lifetime? What if the end truly is much sooner than later? If it truly is, what a, what a joy it is for you to be able to know Man, I can put aside some of the petty things that go on in day-to-day -day life, and I can really laser focus in on what matters. And that's what I want to encourage us to do in these days that we're living. So I'm going to read a good portion of 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to go down to verse 15. Follow along. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever following that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Let's go before the Lord. Let's ask him to bless our study, and we will get into our outline. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we are eternally grateful for the blessing and the truth and the comfort that is your holy word and your promise in it of our eternal life. And Lord, the troubles that we go through are momentary, light afflictions but a far greater weight of eternal glory is waiting for us. And so, Lord, we, we commit to you today. We can endure. We can continue. And we want to look towards you. We want to clearly understand these final marching orders that you've given us. We want to understand what we need to be all about and how you want to find us when that day comes and you call time and you call us home. Help us, Lord, to do those very things and to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the first thing we're going to look at, I'm calling the Christian's reflection, and that's going to be verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, if you haven't noticed, that's a, almost a ridiculous introduction. Everybody has noticed that the world is getting darker and darker. Have you not noticed? 
It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, John chapter 9 and verse number 5 says this, As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Now, you could say Jesus is the light of the world, but specifically he said in John chapter 9, as long as I'm in the world. Well, currently he's actually not in the world. He's ascended up into heaven and, and we're in the world. You know, Jesus Christ is compared unto the sun in the sky, right in Malachi 4 and verse number 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, and it's S-U-N, not S-O-N. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That's a prophetic reference to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the sun shall arise in the morning, when the sun rises in the morning, it's the dawn of a new day, and that new day is the day of the Lord. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the sunrise. Jesus Christ is the sun. As long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world. But when he's not in the world, i.e. the church age, well, it's dark. It's nighttime. The church age is nighttime. Now, we believe that we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon. We believe that the dawn is just past the horizon, and we understand that well, it's always darkest right before the dawn, isn't it? And we also understand that when it's the very darkest, and take courage, brothers and sisters, because when it's the very darkest, even a very small light can be seen a long way away. Even a very small light can be seen a long way long way away. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5:14, "Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid." And the idea is it's up on a hill and even a small light can be seen from a far distance away. So we as the church of Jesus Christ are the only light that this dark world has to find their way. And the Bible likens us, therefore, as the body of Christ, unto the moon. The church is like the moon. Jesus Christ is the sun. The moon has no light of its own. The moon is the light at night. And the moon only reflects the light of the sun. The light of the sun bounces off the moon and shines into this world. And that's our job. Our job is to reflect the light of the sun, the sun of righteousness. And so, hence, I picked that title for this point, the Christian's reflection. We are to reflect the light that Jesus Christ has for this dark world. And so I put this in your notes, that as children of the light, we're to walk in truth. That's what we're to do. We're to walk in the truth. In these last moments of great darkness, friends, there is no more time left for half-truths. There is no more time left to beat around the bush. There is no more time left to slowly, eventually get around to maybe talking to people. Now is the time. People need to hear the truth now. These are our marching orders. We look back at our text, verses 4 and 5. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. We have the light of the Lord in ourselves, that that day, the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light. That's who we are. And who we are determines what we do. 
That's important for you to understand. If li while living in a dark world as a child of the light, it is not our job to enjoy the darkness. It's not our job to enjoy the darkness, but to enlighten it. Well, how do we do that exactly? Well, it says in our text, to watch and to be sober. To watch and to be sober. Literally, to be alert, to be aware of what's going around, and to be serious-minded about it. Literally, the idea is we are to be night watchmen. We are to be night watchmen. Not, I'm not talking about the kind that Night of the Museum movie night watchmen. I'm talking about a soldier that stands on guard duty at night. And the two things that soldiers on guard duty that guard the troops at night can't do is they can't sleep and they can't be drunken. In fact, they tell me that those two things, if a soldier on guard duty is found sleeping or is found intoxicated, it can be punishable by death. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I know that that would be a severe error because you endanger the lives of everybody else around you. Those are characteristics of somebody who's going to be a good watchman. They need to watch and they need to be sober. Well, that watchman's duty is described for us in Ezekiel chapter 3, and a lot of you are familiar with it. We're going to start in verse 17, Ezekiel 3, 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. So what does a watchman do? The watchman gives warning to people from the Lord. Okay, that's the job. When I, the Lord, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Because you haven't given him warning, right? Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he's warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. So what's the job of the watchman? The watchman, we are to warn people in two ways, with evangelism and edification. Right? With evangelism towards those that are considered the wicked, those who are the unsaved. With edification towards those that are considered the righteous, those that are considered the saved. You warn the wicked that they turn from their wickedness. Warn the wicked that there is a soon coming judgment so that people can prepare themselves for that judgment by repenting of their sin and surrendering their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before it's too late. Because although for centuries and generations people have been warning people all over the world regularly Ever since Jesus Christ sent the church to do it, people have always put it off and said, well, I've got tomorrow. Well, I've got tomorrow. And people die saying, I've got tomorrow, and, well, it's too late for them. But there's going to be 
a cataclysmic event in history, there's going to be a day that an entire generation doesn't actually die physically, but there is no tomorrow because the Lord comes back. And then it's too late. So what is our job? It's to warn them. It's to warn the wicked. That's evangelism. Can I just tell you, you may have no more important ministry. In fact, you have no more important ministry, especially in the last days, than to evangelize the lost, than to remind them Look, they may not have time to go through an extensive process of discipleship. And that, again, that's a, we should still be doing discipleship. But people need to be saved before it's too late. Because when it's too late, it's too late. And by the way, Christian, the one thing that you'll never do after the rapture of the church is evangelize again. You have now. Now is the chance. Now is the opportunity. Well, we're also to warn the righteous. And in the context of a New Testament church, and I know it's Ezekiel, and I know it's an Old Testament context, I know that. But in the, the idea would be we're to warn those who already have righteousness, but have turned from their righteousness. This would be an erring brother. This would be a Christian who, well, isn't living like he knows he's supposed to live. And we're to warn them that there is yet a coming day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. There is coming this time where we will all give account and whether they turn or don't turn is up to them, but it's our job to warn them. This is what we should be doing. We are like unto special forces that are behind enemy lines just before the bombers fly in. We don't have time to be enjoying ourselves. We're soldiers. And that's what 2 Timothy 2.4 says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So if you're going to make it, there's a couple of things you need to do. And verse 8 refers to a couple of things. The first one is to guard your emotional stability. You see, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the affairs of this life in the context of this pandemic. It's easy to get very emotionally charged and whether it stirs you to fear or whether it stirs you to anger or whatever emotion you may find, it's easy to get caught up in that. But we're not to get caught up in that. We're to be pleasing him that called us. Emotional stability by putting on the breastplate of faith and love. The breastplate guards your heart. That's what it does. It guards your heart. That you would have faith toward God and love toward others. Listen, people saved or lost are always going to disappoint you. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they do. They're going to break your heart if you're in it long enough. You got to keep your faith toward God, not toward people. If your hope is in the government, if your hope is in me, if your hope is in anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ, well, it's misplaced. It's misplaced. And when you get that straight, well, then you can not only have love for the Lord, but you can have love for others. Well, you need to guard your emotional stability. You need to guard your mental stability, too. Because it goes on and it says, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, it doesn't say for an helmet, salvation. It says, for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Obviously, the helmet guards your head. Do I need to remind you? You're living forever. 
in peace and joy and harmony and no sin and righteousness and holiness forever and ever and ever. That's your hope. It's eternal. It's secure. It's sure. It's going to happen. It's just yet future still. That's all. It's certain. That's the hope that you have in front of you. So you don't need to let your mind get all tangled up in all of the worldly pressures that are upon you when you focus on eternity. I know, I know, it's, I have actually prayed and thanked the Lord now, maybe more than ever in my life, for the fact that I'm at the age that I'm at. And I know that if you're younger and if you're staring down the gun barrel at the idea that maybe the rapture is this year, next year, the next year, very soon, and you're younger, you're thinking, oh, man. Because that's human nature. That's how we think. I get it. I'm not, I'm not jazzing anybody for it. I, I, totally, I truly understand. Uh, my friends and I, I mean, we were in our 20s when we used to talk about the rapture all the time before the year 2000. If you were saved back then, you remember in the late 80s and 90s, we talked about it all the time back then. Well, back then, I was young. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. But can I tell you, the hope of your salvation, the, just, just remind yourself, guard your mind, your mental stability, Know that the things that you believe are true. Understand that eternity is a really long time. Understand that if this physical life, which is brief and full of sorrow, by the way, the Bible calls it the present evil world. If it gets cut short such that you don't get to do whatever it is that you have on your list of things you hope to do, it'll be all right. Listen, let me tell you, can I just give you a promise you won't be disappointed. So just get your mind wrapped around that thing. This is the light that we need to reflect in a very dark world. Point number two, the Christian's rest. So, again, you know, we can't help get, you know, from getting away from this subject, but, I mean, this world is in a great big mess, y'all. It is in a mess, and the judgment of God is approaching, and it's our job to warn them. But we are human. We are but flesh. We think of ourselves, of course, and what about us? I mean, things are getting kind of hairy, and if you spend a lot of time watching the news and hearing the reports that seemingly every other day they change their mind about what's right and what's wrong and what they know and what they don't know and let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that they're actually trying and they're confused too it can engender a lot of fear and distrust and panic and depression and what's going to happen what's going to happen to me what about my kids what about my future what about my income and God writes this portion of Scripture with this contextual focus to comfort us concerning these things. And I just want to read for you once again the first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want you to notice, if you have a Bible, look at the Bible in your, in your lap, okay? It'll be on the screen, I'm sure. But I want you to notice the pronoun shift as Paul writes this letter. And yes, English grammar matters. 
Yes, paying attention to the parts of speech matter. Okay, that's how you can understand what God's trying to say to you. Notice the pronoun shift to whom the message is being addressed. Okay? But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye, brethren, have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so cometh the thief in the night. You guys know that. For when, here's the shift, when they, these are the other people now, the unsaved people, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, not you, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Not, not you, but ye, brethren, we're shifting back now, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they, there's the shift again, that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, for in helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And when you recognize that there's a, there's a message addressed to us and there's a message addressed to them, it just helps, doesn't it? It just helps. The wrath of God, as mentioned in verse number 9, God has not appointed us to wrath. The wrath of God is God's judgment poured out on what Galatians 1 calls this present evil world. That term, the wrath of God, right? That term, the wrath of God, appears in the book of Revelation, those chapters in the middle that deal with the tribulation. It appears seven times, the wrath of God, seven times. Okay, so... The wrath of God literally is God's judgment. Romans 1.18 says that very clearly. A lot of places say it, but I give you Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. But you know what your rest is? Do you know what you can rest in? You can rest in the fact that your salvation protects you from God's wrath. You can rest in that, right? Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise the Lord. And that's because he took the wrath of God on him in our place. Back to our text, 1 Thessalonians 9 through 11, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. That's how we know the church will not go through the tribulation. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. He took the wrath that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So, man, that's what a, what a blessing. What an expression of love the Lord has given to us. So, as beloved children, we are to walk in love. That's what we're to do. We are his beloved, and we are to walk in that love. We walk in the love that God shows to us, and that gives us the rest that we need. And, well, as a result, well, together with the eternal security we talked about, then we have love to show towards others. 
All right, well, let's get to our third point, which I'm calling the Christian's responses, because here we're going to take a little more time because there's a lot of things to look at briefly. The Christian's responses, verses 12 to 15. When life is in turmoil, well, that's kind of like the life that we're experiencing. When the last days, according to the Bible, are said to be perilous times, what you find is that people behave differently than normal. Okay, but a soldier has to keep his focus on the mission. And he has to know, a good soldier has to know how to respond to each situation that's put in front of him. So in these verses, Paul discusses the various responses that we're to have as believers towards the different kinds of people, whether they be saved or whether they be lost. We might say, Different strokes for different folks. So let's look at some of those things because you could say that as children of God, we're to walk in wisdom and we're going to need this wisdom to know how to respond to the various kinds of people and the ways that they're behaving at any moment that they're behaving that way. And if we will do that, we will be demonstrating the wisdom of God and walking in that wisdom. And so each of these five types of interpersonal interactions that follow also give us the appropriate response, and this will help you. This will help you know how to deal with all kinds of people in various kinds of situations. And again, whatever somebody's uh, propensity is, when, when trouble comes, that insecurity, that weakness that they feel, whatever it might be, will tend to rise right up to the surface and be put on full display for everybody to notice. So whatever your weakness is, odds are you're going to have a hard time hiding it when life is in turmoil. Okay, so let's begin to look at some of these. Letter A, be the encouragement for those that are leaders. Be the encouragement for those that are leaders. It starts off in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord... And admonish you, I, I do want to point out that the context is spiritual leadership, not governmental leadership in this particular passage of Scripture, because these are people who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, okay? So, shepherds need your encouragement. They just do. Shepherds need encouragement. And there's a couple of ways that we can encourage them, specifically mentioned in these verses. The first is to know them. In other words, most people, if they've been in church for any length of time, they've already kind of got down the idea, and they understand that it is the job of the shepherd to know the sheep. You all expect that we know you, and if we fall short of knowing you or about you or every detail about you whenever you think you need it and we don't fulfill it, well, you're quick to remember how that's our job and we should know you. That's not without precedent, by the way. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well to thy herds. But wouldn't you say it's important for the sheep to know the shepherd too? I mean, you're supposed to know his voice. I mean, you should know not just which one it is. You should know something about him, right? I mean, really know them. Know who they are. Know what makes them tick. Know their strengths and weaknesses. Hey, I got an idea. Develop a relationship as much as possible anyway. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith 
follow, considering the end of their conversation. It doesn't say imitate them. It doesn't say go do everything they do. It doesn't even say agree with them. It just says follow the faith. Remember them. Follow their faith. Know them. Know, really know them. And to esteem them. goes on in verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. So, you know, in the current crisis in which we live, I, you know, it's as appropriate and, and apparent as ever. But especially in tough times, leaders have to make hard decisions. And they take a lot of things into consideration. And you're not always going to agree, which might be all the more reason why you ought to get to know them. Because at the end of the day, God placed them in that position for your good. And, and I might even just say that again. It's for your good. And you might think, well, I, it'd be better if, okay, think that. But this is what the Lord has said. Hebrews 13, again, now in verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. People have been appointed by God to watch for your souls. That's a huge benefit, by the way. I mean, I think everybody needs a pastor, whether you're saved or not. Everybody needs a pastor. That's just handy. <laughs> Having somebody looking out for you, man. Having somebody reminding you the stuff you ought to remember. Look, I'm, I, this is weird for me to say it. I get it. But the Bible says it, so I got to say it. It's important. These are important things. So when shepherds make decisions that affect the flock, and maybe you particularly don't agree or like it, well... Still just work to get to know them, get to know their lives and struggles, the enormous workload bearing the burdens of so many countless people all at the same time is not easy. And esteem them highly. That's what it says. Why? Because that lends itself to peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Right? And listen, I'm not saying this for me. I'm not saying this specifically for... Well, you guys treat us great. I'm not... I'm not complaining. I'm just saying this is just what the Lord leads us all. This is for all of us so we can all be at peace together, so we can all work together for the glory of God. I mean, a personal relationship and mutual respect go a long way, don't they? Okay, let's go to the next one, letter B. Be the voice for those that are rebellious. Be the voice for those that are rebellious. It says, warn them that are unruly. So this idea of being unruly is to be disorderly, disrupting the order, being out of order, being out of place. In some cases, it's even used with the idea of being lazy or idle. Let me define it for you with a couple other verses from Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. James chapter 3 and verse number 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So this idea of being unruly is going to have something to do with the way people speak 
It's going to have something to do with vain talkers and deceivers whose mouths subvert households by saying things they ought not say because the tongue is unruly. Somebody once said it this way, you got to watch your tongue because it, it resides in a, in a wet place that can easily slip. You like that? All right, so let's consider our current challenge with this pandemic. Warn them that are unruly. Well, the government likes doing that. The government likes to make sure that they would label anybody who's not doing exactly as they say as unruly. And from their perspective, it's true. I get it. But what if, hear those two words, what if, their reporting is unruly and deceptive and promoting things that they ought not. And by the way, general rule of life, when things don't make sense, follow the money. Right? When things don't make sense, follow the money. Teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, the Bible says. Okay, well, if that's the case, what if, then the application takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Please understand, I'm not accusing anybody today, and I'm not making a statement for civil disobedience. I promise I'm not. I'm just pointing out that we have a God-ordained, God-directed response to chaos. That's what we have, because we are the light and that is to warn people, because God loves people, right? And we've already talked about warning lost people to be saved, and we've talked about warning carnal Christians to not be carnal. And even though the Bible does say that the powers that be are ordained of God, it's possible that even they can become unruly. Oh, I can become unruly, you can become, we all can become unruly. It's our job to warn them. Because it's not a lesson that we only teach to our children when we say behavioral choices have consequences. We teach that to our children. And then I guess once you cross a certain age, you just think that that doesn't apply to you anymore. Behavioral choices have consequences. That's why we have laws in our country. But there is one even above that, right? We know that. And as a Christian, and, and I don't... Take it lightly when I say what I'm about to say, that we need to always remember to whom we owe our allegiance primarily. We're soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We're his ambassadors. And so we warn lost people about evangelism, and man, we need to be doing that. And we need to warn saved people to live right in these last days, and we need to do that. But you know what else we need to do? We need to warn people who are riotous, propagating deception. That's what we need to do. And by the way, that doesn't have to be carried out in anger. We just have a spiritual duty as lights in a dark world. And if we don't do it, who will? Who will? News media ain't doing it, right? Schools aren't doing it. We're, we, this, is, this is the job of the church. 
And we still, at least so far, have the right to free speech. We do. We have rights in this country. And we need to love people enough to warn them about what God has to say about these things. Warn the unruly. Be the voice to those that would be rebellious. Letter C, be the comfort for those that are fearful. It goes on and it says, comfort the feeble-minded. Feeble-minded. Might be considered as somebody who's discouraged or timid or faint-hearted or even weak-minded because the word feeble literally means weak, right? And your mind, well, that's kind of the gateway to your soul, but your mind literally is the thing that makes the decisions, so you could say the mind is connected to the will. So this typically will manifest itself when people are fearful. That's typically what we're going to see. And God says comfort those people because they don't, at least at that moment that they're demonstrating it, they don't have the strength of mind to see through a matter and they don't have the strength of the will to take a stand. And it's not our job to point fingers and to rebuke and to... No, that's the improper response. We warn the unruly. We comfort. We comfort the feeble-minded. That's how we're to do that. And there's people who are in this category today, and we're to care for them. 1 Corinthians 12, in the context of the body of Christ, in verse 22, says this, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, they're necessary. That's why we comfort them. They're important. They're necessary. They just need some help. And we're here to help them. Why? Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care, comfort, care, one for another. Now, all through this end of this book of 1 Thessalonians, it talks about comforting over and over again. The very last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, right after it talks about the rapture, right? Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. And we saw in verse number 11, which talked about we're not appointed to wrath. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And now we see comfort those that may be fearful. And you know, one of the ways that we can comfort them is just remind them of the fact that, like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, well, the rapture's coming and we're eternally secure and there's really no need to be fearful. God hasn't appointed us to wrath and to judgment, chapter 5 and verse 11. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And people in that category need you to be strength for them. Well, connected with that is letter D. The next one, be the strength for those that are sick. Be the strength for those that are sick. It goes on, it says support the weak. And in this context, that word weak means physically weak or sickly, without strength. So support the weak. Gird them up. Lift them up. Now, I know, listen, you guys are good people. You know, it's a nice community. We're family-oriented. We care about one another, generally speaking. And if we meet people who are suffering physically with some illness or sickness or weakness, and you know about it, you're going to help them. I know you will. You've done it over and over. You'll help them. I get it. 
Hebrews 12, 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble or weak knees. Somebody needs support. Somebody needs to be girded up, right? But I just want to point this out as we come to a close here shortly, that support is also used financially by Jesus Christ himself. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it said, Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus, I showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to, here it is, support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's a lot of things you can give. There's a lot of assistance you can give. It doesn't exclusively mean financial giving, but it also includes financial giving. And your ability to give support to help people who are weak and can't do it themselves, well, that's, a, that's an appropriate response. Support the weak. Giving to ministries through a time when many people are weakened through this trouble that we're going through, and that's godly. That's the right thing to do. It promotes unity because we're all in this together. What's the one thing? I, I've never been in the military, but I, I like watching the movies, so I think I know something. <laughs> you know, the soldiers, that they're told, man, you, don't, you can't leave a soldier on the battlefield. You've got to bring them home. They've been shot. They're bleeding, whatever. You can't leave them there. You gotta, you gotta bring them back with you, man. You gotta go after them. I think that's right, isn't it? You guys seen those movies? That's how we gotta live our lives. Okay, finally, last one, letter E. Be the calm for those that are troubled. Verses 14, at the very end, going into verse 15, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know, we're kind of we're getting to the point now where we're winding it up and we're kind of seeing how this stuff plays out and different strokes for different folks. And depending on how you can determine how people are reacting in their lives, you can determine how you are to respond to them. But in general, no matter who they are and where they are and what's going on, just have some patience. Be patient with them. Um... Wherever you happen to find yourself, if you're listening to this today, wherever you find yourself in this global crisis, however people may respond to the challenges that life is currently presenting to them, remember, please, that above all, you, we, represent the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent him in this world. Be patient with them. God is not done with them yet. God is not done with you yet, thank the Lord. God is not done with me yet, thank the Lord. So let's have patience one for another. I like Romans 14. First four verses of Romans 14. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. You might say that would be rendering evil for evil, wouldn't you? Don't argue with them. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Vegetarians are weak, sorry. <laughs> I, I don't think it's teaching that. I couldn't help it. 
I'm in no place to speak of such a thing. <laughs> let not him, let's get back to the Bible, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, because God's received him. In other words, let each do according to their conscience before the Lord and give a brother some space, will you? That's what he's trying to say. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? When's the last time you saw written down that somebody was supposed to serve you? By extension, kind of. But we serve the Lord Jesus. To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Yeah, these are perilous times. And yeah, I actually believe that we're in the very last moments of the last days. I, I actually really believe it. So now more than ever, I think we need to be focused on the mission that's before us. It's a battle. It is a battle maybe more than you've ever seen before. But you are called to this battle. You have been enlisted in this battle. You have an assignment to fulfill in this battle. And you need to fulfill it to the end. You know, the term that I think of when I think of fulfilling it to the end is hold fast. Hold your position. If, if you were in, you know, one of those World War II movies and, you know, Saving Private Ryan or whatever in the foxhole and bombers are all around you and it doesn't seem like you're going to get out, hold fast to the very, I mean, just, just like a minute away, the Air Force is going to come in and just, you know, bomb the snot out of those guys. And you, you're going to make, in other words, you're going to make it. We're right at the very end. Hold fast. Which takes us back to Hebrews 10 and we'll be done. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day the day of the Lord, approaching. I understand that we're in a very unprecedented situation where we can't all gather together physically. I understand. And this is not a word, not even a hint of judgment, I promise. But there is something to holding fast to the end and not making the manner of your life forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so much the more when we're in the last minutes of the last days. So much the more. Listen, I get it. That's why I wanted to see it this way. That's why I wanted you to see in 1 Thessalonians 5. Everybody's different. Everybody's at different spaces. Everybody's processing information differently. Everybody needs to be treated with respect and honor and patience. But y'all, we got a job to do, and it's almost over. We are about to see the full realization of everything we have believed by faith. Everybody has different needs in these challenging days. But one thing's for sure, we need one another. We need each other 
And you know what? The world needs us. They don't think so. The world and, and those who have a voice, it seems like, are shouting how they don't need us. They disdain us. Okay. It's okay. I can, I can have patience with them too. Because they don't know the role we play, even for them. They don't know. Because as long as we're here, God's wrath is not. And when we're gone, like some may desire who are in positions of power in the earthly kingdom of heaven, well, there's even darker days coming. And they don't recognize it. Each of you need to decide for yourselves what you need to do faithfully today to carry out your final marching orders. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are humbled as always before your amazing grace and your love for us and the truth that you make clear. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would take your word, you'd burn it into our hearts and our souls, you'd put your finger on the specific area that each of us need to hear and to be able to make the application that each of us need to make. I don't know what they are, but you do. They serve you. They respond to you. You are the great shepherd. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that First Baptist Church and our membership, that we would respond to you honorably, that we would be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we would serve you faithfully and hold fast to the very end. We love you and we praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand up with me. We're going to worship the Lord with one last song. And at the end of that last song, the offerings will be at the doors on the way out.